To our guests, we say a warm welcome. We hope that you not only feel welcome here at the fellowship, but that you feel loved. The fellowship is a graceful place. <laughs> Always an exciting moment around the corner. But we're a loving community, uh, building up followers of Jesus and sharing Christ everywhere that we go. We hope that you're into that too. This would be a good place for you. Uh, if, if you are a guest today, you're not aware of kind of like the inside secret that everybody else that walked in today is aware of, and it's this. There are no note sheets in the chair today. Who recognized that when you walked in? Did it throw you off a little bit? Were you thinking, am I at the fellowship? What's going on today? Well, here's what's going on today. So on Friday, our staff and our elders, I guess you could call it an, kind of a critical meeting, an emergency meeting, a special called meeting. We wanted to get together on Friday evening and pray through and think through how to respond to Thursday's updated CDC guidelines. And so we, you know, that they, they made some big announcements. And so our staff and our elders got together and we wanted to pray. We wanted to talk. We wanted to think. We wanted to say, what next? And as we were talking and praying and, you know, one staff member would say, well, I've had this conversation in this context. And an elder would say, well, I've interacted with a couple of people and this was perspective. One of the things that really began to stir in all of us in that meeting on Friday was this profound need to push pause on the series that we've been doing about prayer and focus on unity. And so uh, that's why there are no sheets today for notes because the sermon that I had ready on Friday morning is not the sermon that we're hearing today. We, uh, we didn't scrap it. I'm gonna use that one next week. So we've already got the note sheets printed for next week. But today we're looking at unity. I think it's important for us to do that. And not simply because of the current events and the moment and time that we're in, but unity is a theological and biblical concept. And it's important for us to always keep it in the front of our uh, thoughts, but especially today. So I invite you to open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. If you're new to the fellowship or if you're new to church or, or faith and you don't know where 1 Corinthians 1 is, uh, that's okay. And if you don't even have a Bible but you'd like one, then at the end of the message today, if you would meet me over at the Welcome Center, it would be my incredible privilege to give you a copy of the Bible. And for you, for you online, if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you'd like one, get in touch. You can email or reach out, send a message through Facebook, however you're online with us right now, we would love to get you a copy of the Bible as well. But we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today. Here's a little context for you because we're kind of like just jumping right into some of Paul's drama that he's having to work with with the Corinthian church. So it'd be good for us to get a little perspective before we open the door and jump in. Uh, Paul is writing to the church. Understand this, Paul's not angry. He's not upset with the church. He's speaking to them from this incredible place of affection. In fact, we're going to start looking in verse 
verse 10, but if you were to read the first nine verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you would discover that he says some incredible things to this church. I mean, he, Paul is coming from a really good place. He loves the people that he's writing to. He wants to encourage the people that he's writing to. He's confident of their security under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So he's speaking to them as a loving family member, and that's what he's speaking to them as, as a family member. You'll notice in verse 10, when we look at it in just a moment, that he references them as family. Some of your translations will say brothers. Some of your translations will say brothers and sisters. But here's the point. For Paul, this isn't a CEO executive speaking to members of an organization. He is talking to his family. And he wants to speak to them specifically about divisions that have crept in and, and the fact that now fighting, strife, or quarrels, depending on your translation of the Bible, has started to erupt. And so Paul, from a loving place, speaks to a church that is struggling with divisions. And I want for us to understand what Paul says to them. And then, you know, if you know me, you know that we're going to turn and say, okay, how does that connect with us where we are in today's moment, in today's current events, where we are in the life of the fellowship. But before we do that, let's enjoy the word of God together. We'll start in verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Some of your translations may say purpose and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that they are quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean by this is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized into the name of Paul? Now, we'll stop there because just these three verses, all we need this morning to really coach our thinking and to really shape our hearts and help us to understand what it is that Paul is trying to say to this church that evidently have allowed divisions and quarreling to set in. Now, what I want to do this morning is to say and to point out the three appeals that Paul makes to the church that's struggling with divisions. Now, in verse 10, going back to verse 10, you'll see that he says, I appeal. That's the English standard version. You may have a different version. And so your version may say something like, I urge. A, a really good way to understand that if we're using today's vernaculars to say, I am begging you. Like Paul isn't puffed up with pride. He isn't arrogant. I mean, he is literally writing to them saying, I am begging you, my family. I am begging you, I am urging you, I am pleading with you, I am verbally trying to obligate you to jump into action and to do a couple of things. And the first one is interesting, but it's also interesting the way that we've translated it. Because in your translation, it probably says, I appeal to you, brothers, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to be in full agreement or to agree with one another. What I want you to understand 
is that when you look at that word and you're trying to translate it from Greek to English, did you know that that word has the word to speak in it? When it says in agreement, what it's talking about is when you speak, that you are speaking in agreement. What Paul is saying is we need to be very careful the way that we speak to one another and the way that we speak about one another and the way that we speak <clears throat> excuse me, to the outside world. Paul is saying to the church that's struggling with division, it starts by how you speak. And so Paul says when he's making appeals and he's making requests and he's making urges, the first thing that he says is, I urge you when you speak, speak in the spirit of unity. Speak from a place of togetherness. That's Paul's call. That's his request. That's his command to the Corinthian church to speak in agreement that you all are saying the same thing. What that doesn't mean is that we agree on everything. I mean, heaven knows that if you put three people in a room, you'll have four opinions. And even sanctified folk, right? Like we just have different thoughts and we have different feelings. And I'm going to mention this in a second when we talk about divisions. But what I don't want you to think is that I'm painting you into a corner where you think I'm telling you, you always have to agree with everything and speak the same. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when it comes to unity and divisions, we need to make sure that we're talking about the common things that we have, which is Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that Paul says to this church is he says, you need to forsake divisions. He said that there be no divisions among you. And if you're the person who feels the freedom to like write notes in your Bible or underline or circle things, I would encourage you to circle the word no. Because Paul is saying something so clear to this church. He says that there needs to be not just one or not just a couple throughout the year. He says there needs to be no divisions among you. Now I say to you again, it doesn't mean that we all have the same thinking and that we all have the same feeling. And it doesn't even mean that there's not disagreements. Listen, if you've read through the New Testament, if you've read through the Gospels, you know that God-fearing, Jesus-loving, community-minded people in the kingdom of God have disagreements. It happens frequently in the New Testament, but a disagreement is not a division. A division is a permanent place that we set up that creates an us-versus-them mentality, and that's way beyond a disagreement. A division is where we where we set up campgrounds, and instead of Paul looking out and saying, this church, this is my family, my brother, my sister, my people, like this is who I belong to, this is my family. Instead of doing that, a division starts to divide the group into subgroups so that I begin to exclude you when I think about the inner circle of people that I belong to. That is a division. It is a permanent category in which we conceptually have people that we're for and we have people that we're against. And Paul is saying there can be none of that in the kingdom of God. Now, the third appeal that Paul makes to this church 
is that they be unified. And go back and look with me. I mean, all of this is in verse 10. So let's just go back over verse 10 so you'll see exactly where we're seeing these appeals that Paul is making. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't appeal to his own authority. Notice that he doesn't appeal to his intellect or his wisdom or his philosophy of life. He appeals to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, I am appealing to you that your speech be unified. Verse 10. That there be no divisions among you. In verse 10. But that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose or the same judgment. Interestingly, and for those of you who love like the deep dives into Bible study and the word studies and the verse by verse studies, you're going to love this. Those of you who don't, hang tight. All right, I'm coming back. Just hang tight. This verb to be unified is a passive verb, which means it's not something that the church is responsible for acting upon. It's something that happens to them. Now, here's what that means. That means that as they're careful with their speech under the umbrella or the lordship of Jesus Christ, as they forsake the opportunity to divide themselves over matters, they are being united together. In other words, it's not an action that they're performing. It's an action that's happening to them. It says that they are being to be knit together. And when you're knit together, that means someone else is doing the knitting. Who is that? Clearly, it's Jesus Christ. In the kingdom of God, it is the agenda of God to take the people of God and bring them together. Now... I literally know nothing about knitting. I will tell you that. So it was hard for me to conceptualize the importance of that verb that literally means to be knit together. That's what the word united means. Knit together. I don't know knitting from crocheting from sewing. Honestly, I know nothing about any of it. Except for that one time I used knitting and crocheting interchangeably and boy did I get corrected. Because as I now know, those are not the same thing. But this is what I do know. I know that if you are knit together, you are not simply near one another. And you're not simply overlapping one another. You are literally connected. And Paul says, as he begins to speak to a church that is in the throes of division, struggling. He says, you need to be knit together. Now, the point of all of this is for us to realize that Paul's main thought to the church at Corinth here, of course, he says a lot. There's lots of chapters to 1 Corinthians but I don't think it's a mistake and I don't think it's a coincidence that he opened with this conversation about unity and about divisions. And, and the point that he's making is you need to live unified because 
divisions in the church breed quarrels or strife or fighting, whatever you want to call it. And quarrels damage the body of Christ. That's what Paul is saying to them. As he addresses the church that's struggling with divisions, he says, you need to be united because divisions cause fighting and fighting damages the body of Christ. Now, what was their fighting about? It's interesting. They were fighting over who was the better church leader. You saw it in the script. If you go back and look with me, uh, look starting in verse 12, where he talks about the quarreling. He says, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. What is that about? Well, what it's about is inside the church at Corinth, they had subdivided themselves into people who felt a specific level of loyalty to different church leaders. All of these people were viewed as church leaders in the early church. And so there was a group of people who said, well, my, my loyalty is to Paul. And then there was a group of people who said, well, well, okay, but my loyalty is to Apollos or to Peter, Cephas. My loyalty is to Christ. And so they were fighting over who was the better church leader. Now, why they were doing that, heaven only, heaven only knows. Some people think it's because they felt loyal to the person who led them to Christ. And you know, the person who shared the gospel with you and walked with you through that season of life where you gave your life to Jesus. I mean, you have a certain level of affection for that person, don't you? And so some people think that they were drawing up lines based on who had led them to Christ. Some people think that they were drawing up lines based on who baptized them. I am of Paul seems to indicate some type of, you know, baptized by Paul and, and coming into the the church proper by the actions of Paul. And then some people think it wasn't either one of those. It was just by, just by nature, we tend to gravitate towards specific types of church leaders. And so if you're flipping through the, the television stations and you see a preacher, sometimes you think, oh, I like that one. I watch that. And sometimes you see one and you go, oh, they got nothing for me. I keep going, right? I mean, we just kind of are attracted to different types of church leaders. And some people think that's what it was. They just felt more moved by the ministry of Paul or by Apollos. And to be clear, these leaders were way different. Like Apollos had this incredible reputation for being a great orator. I mean, he could preach the stars out of heaven, this guy. And Paul couldn't. Paul was not a good public speaker. And so it could be that. The reality is, we don't know. <laughs> That's the reality. We don't know how it got there. We only know that somehow they began to intellectually and emotionally divide themselves into these subgroups. And then all of the sudden, not only did they see themselves in the context of these categories, but they started quarreling with one another. They were fighting with one another in the body of Christ. Now, it doesn't seem that we here at the fellowship have that specific problem. But I would say this to you, that we are being tested not by the division of church leaders, but by current events that's going on around us. I think we're being tested. I think it's clear that we're being tested. 
I think, in fact, I think I could demonstrate it to you if we had the time, that we are in danger of choosing divisions and quarreling over unity. I'm not saying that we're there, but I am saying to you that just as it started quietly and then it, and then it bled into the people's hearts and then their actions in Corinth, I am saying to you that we have to make that decision today, whether we're going to be divided or together. Here's, here's uh, some, some ways that we are fighting against division right now. There are those who choose to be vaccinated and there are those who choose not to be vaccinated. And if we're not careful, we start looking at our family of faith through that prism. Oh, we've got the vaxxers. We've got the anti-vaxxers. Then we've got those in the middle who are like, I don't know if I should get the shot or if I shouldn't. But that's a potential for divisiveness among us. Am I saying that it's not an important topic? Absolutely not. It's a very important topic that we need to pray about, we need to discuss, we need to have the conversation, but it shouldn't divide us. Another opportunity. Those who think masks are worthless and those who think that if you, you don't love your grandparents if you don't wear your mask. I'll never forget where I was sitting I'll never forget the chair that I was sitting in when the, uh, when the television popped up this commercial. And I can't remember who was behind it, but it literally said, if you love your grandparents and you want them to live, wear a mask. Well, that's a little divisive. They're trying to make a point. And then you can probably go online and find plenty of people in your friend group that can find articles that tell you masks are worthless. You see, there's, there's, there's the dichotomy. There's the, there's the division. We have to decide, are we going to be divided by that or not? There are those who feel the other side has overreacted to a virus. And there are those who feel the other side has underreacted to the virus. There are those who feel the other side is living in fear. And there are those who feel the other side is careless and lack respect for others. There are those who believe that the leadership has moved too slow. And there are those who feel that the leadership has moved too quickly. There are those who think that this whole past year has been an orchestrated power grab by the government. And then there are those who think that they are following the science better than anyone else around them. So I don't think that we're facing division as a church the way that the church in Corinth was facing division. But I do think that it's fair for us to acknowledge and come to a place of decision where we have to understand that the opportunity for division has never been riper for us to pick the fruit of, of the tree of division ever. Since I've been in ministry for 20 years, this last year has really put stress on the kingdom of God in terms of we all come together as a family with different understandings, not even just the pandemic, but the presidential election was incredibly stressful. 
the racial tensions that we faced in this past year and how to process those and where we land on those matters have been stressful. But here we are looking at Paul addressing a church that had already swallowed the bait of division and they now were fighting with one another. They were having quarrels with one another. And I don't think that that type of division is the thing that we're facing, but I believe with my whole heart that the opportunity for division is before us. And so today is the day that we need to decide that all of the important dynamics and current events that are going on around us will not divide us. They are important. They are key things that are happening in our world today. We should not ignore them. We should not sidestep them. But nor should we allow them to divide the church of Jesus Christ. That's important for us to remember. So the leadership, staff and, and elders and, and leaders have come together. And we've been thinking through what type of commitments can we make to really do our part, because it takes all of us, but what can we do to do our part to hold fast to unity, to continue to forsake division, and to never let quarreling set in, but always keep our mind fixed on Jesus. I want to share with you two commitments that we've made and we will continue to make throughout this entire process. And I share them with you not as FYIs. I want to share them with you so that you're aware of the processing that we've been doing, but I also want to share them with you because I pray so diligently that you will adopt these commitments, that these will be things that you take personally and internalize them and say, this isn't just what our leadership teams are working on. This is what we are all working on. The first commitment is that we will not allow these categories to divide us, or to define us. Our definition is that we are children of the living God. And that's how I choose to see you. I refuse to see you in any other light. We are family. You're my brother or you're my sister. And we will not let the categories that I just mentioned to you a moment ago divide us or define us. The second category, uh, excuse me, the second commitment that we make, and we invite you to participate in this commitment, is that we will continue to be drawn to unity by the will of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. You see, wherever you fall on the things that we've been talking about this morning, wherever you fall, we are all together drawn above those types of disagreements and we're knit together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel draws us together. And nothing on earth should separate that. And one of the things that really binds us together is the Great Commission. I want to read that for you. I know that many of us know what the Great Commission is. But it is the assignment that Jesus gave to the disciples before he entered heaven and before the disciples went about their ministry and business on the earth. Now, this is what we call the Great Commission. It says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to where Jesus had directed them. 
And when they saw him, some of them worshipped him, some of them doubted. I mean, Jesus has been resurrected, and they're still processing what that means. So there was a lot of emotions going on in this moment. But Jesus came to them, and here's what he said. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We choose to be unified by that call. You and I may not agree on some politics. You and I may not agree on some current events. But the gospel call to make disciples of all nations draws us above those disagreements and unites us in one mind and in one purpose. That's what Paul is saying to the church. He's saying, forsake these divisions there's a greater calling that we need to be focusing on. Are they important matters? Yes. But there's no greater important matter on planet Earth than to reach people with the gospel and disciple them to know how to follow Jesus. Those are our two commitments that we're willing to make, and we hope that you'll make them too. Before we close this morning, I want to share with you Four reasons that we should forsake the opportunity to embrace division and quarreling. And then after that, we're going to read a scripture in Ephesians that talks about unity. But, but here are four reasons why we should choose to forsake the opportunity for division and quarrels. The first is because when we do that, it steals the spotlight from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, whether it's us just looking at ourselves and divisions and, and, and strife, or whether it's the world outside looking at us, seeing our divisions and strife, if that is the way that we choose to exist as a people of God, we are removing attention and we are removing energy from the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that. In fact, in just a couple of verses beyond what we read, I think it's in verse 13, but Paul says, listen, God didn't call me to those things. God called me to preach the gospel. And so Paul's saying, look, I don't want anything to do with your divisions. I don't want anything to do with your quarrels because my calling, according to God himself, is to be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I will allow nothing to steal my energy or my attention or, or my ability to point people to Jesus. Divisions steals focus from the gospel of Jesus. Divisions also hinder us from the activity of making disciples. If you find any church, it can be in New England, it can be in the Northwest, it can be in the South, it can be in the, it can be in the middle of the country. You find a church that is known and marked as a place where there are divisions and strife and quarreling, and I can promise you that people are not being discipled in that congregation because division 
hinders making disciples. Remember, what that is exactly what we've been called to do. Matthew chapter 28, our assignment is to make disciples. And if all of our time is spent categorizing ourselves and saying, well, I'm in your circle and you're not in my circle, and not only are we going to have these circles, but we're going to fight about it. When we're doing that, we're not doing what God has called us to do, which is to help people take steps of faith to walk with Jesus and to know how to follow him better. That's, that's the second reason that we should choose to forsake the opportunity for division and quarrels. The third reason is because it distorts the image of the body of Christ. In the very same book, in 1 Corinthians, a couple of chapters later, verse 12, Paul is trying to explain how we should view the church. And he uses a human body to do that. And he says, you know, there are some who are eyes and there are some body parts called ears and you have the brains and you have the tongue and you have the arms, you have the fingers and you have the fingernails and you can't have everything be the same or else you don't have a body. What you need is for everybody to come together and to collectively be knit together, and there then you have a functioning body. He says it's the same with the church. And when we are spending our time dividing and quarreling, even over important matters in modern society, we are distorting the picture of the body of Christ. You know, there's specific types of diseases that causes the body to turn against itself and fight the body. And so it's not a disease that is introduced to the body. It's that the body begins fighting the body. And it's a very painful and confusing and, and difficult experience. And I would just say to you that if, if anybody, not just the fellowship, any place, any congregation, if the body of Christ chooses to engage in creating divisions and quarreling, that's exactly what the body is doing. It has stopped fighting the enemy, and it has started fighting itself. It distorts the image of the body of Christ. The last reason is the one that Paul gives in this uh, very same text, just one chapter over into chapter 3. Divisiveness, divisions, and quarreling in the church illuminates spiritual maturity and the need to grow in faith. And Paul says that to the church. I mean, Paul's a brave guy. And he says it like in chapter three, starting in verse one, he's like, listen, I wish that I could write to you as spiritual people, but your quarreling and your divisions and the way that you're at each other tells me that you have a lot of growing to do. One of the reasons that we should reject and forsake opportunities for division is because it would illuminate that we really haven't grown much at all. We can have opinions about important matters in current events, but it shouldn't divide us. We, we can't, for the sake of the kingdom of God, we cannot allow ourselves to be divided. The gospel draws us beyond that and binds us together. There's a text in Ephesians. I close with this before we open our altars. 
This morning, we're going to spend some time praying about what we've just thought and heard. But I want to share with you the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is, again, writing to the church, and he, he calls them to be bearing with one another in love. I listen to this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And I just would close by asking you this morning, are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Or do you want to win arguments all the time? Or do you want to participate in the us versus them? I know that there's a whole host of thoughts and feelings and opinions and beliefs about where we are as a people, about our culture and our context and viruses, masks and CDC updates. Listen, think your thoughts. Believe them if you must, but forsake allowing them to cause divisions. We're a family and we will not be divided not on my watch. We're going to be together. So I ask you, are you eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit?